The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. about to inspire you with the stories of real people. Welcome to A Current Life with your host, Jimmy Gould. In the next hour, you will meet one of the most interesting and successful people in the world. Listen as Jimmy gets their real story of success, both the highs and the lows. We hope that you take with you some of the ideas we will share today and embrace your own journey. Now, here's Jimmy. Welcome to another edition of A Current Life. I'm your host, Jimmy Gould, and I'm very excited and honored to introduce to you my special guest this week, Mike Brown, president and owner of the Cincinnati Bengals. Mike, welcome to A Current Life. Thank you, Jimmy. I appreciate your making the time and your busy schedule to join us today. I know Sunday's game against the Baltimore Ravens is going to be a big day for all of us in Cincinnati, and uh, we're all very, very excited for you and for the city and for the team and the players. Our team bounced back this year, and this is a big uh, moment for us. We are looking forward to it. Well, for those listeners that don't know, I, I was raised in Cincinnati and currently live here, uh, and I'm a huge football fan. It's a passion of mine, and I've followed the Cincinnati Bengals and, and as Mike knows, represented uh, many NFL athletes for almost two decades. And I have tremendous respect for Mike and his family, know them quite well, and uh, I really feel that... Uh, we owe a great, great debt of gratitude to the Brown family for bringing an NFL franchise to our city, and particularly at this time with a great season and an opportunity to make the playoffs, everybody is very excited. So on behalf of your fans and of the many residents here, we want to thank you for making Cincinnati, uh, making the team available to Cincinnati, and, and, and we want to thank you for that. Well, that's kind comments. Uh, this show is about life's journey and the ups and the downs and what we all have to overcome in order to get to where each of us is meant to be. So starting with that note, we always open up the show with the early years. So I'd like to ask you the question of what were you like as a little boy growing up in Ohio? Oh, I have very fond memories of that. I grew up in uh, Maslin, Ohio, Columbus, Ohio, and Cleveland, Ohio, northeastern Ohio for the most part. And, oh, I, I, I uh, could go on forever probably about all of that. But my father was a football coach, so for us and our family, football was a big thing. And they tell the story about how my father visited me after I broke my leg when I was five years old. And I said to him, I guess you're glad it wasn't Horace Gillum. Horace Gillum was the star <laughs> player on the Maslin High School team. <laughs> but uh, uh, I uh, was always oriented towards football and the team, whether it was the Maslin Tigers, the Ohio State Buckeyes, or the Cleveland Browns. So did you play football growing up in in, school, in grade school? I know you went on to eventually go to Dartmouth. We'll talk about that when you went to Dartmouth. But growing up at a very early age, 
when can you remember at the earliest age that you actually held on to a football and when you had one in your hands? I uh, tend to think that I always did. <laughs> I don't remember <laughs> quite when I uh, didn't have a football around. And I liked to uh, throw the ball and did a lot. Uh, thinking back on it, I, I probably did it more than most of the guys who have played quarterback for our team. Uh, it doesn't mean that I could throw it like they could throw it, but I certainly did throw a lot of footballs in my youth. So as you as you grew through that and through school, and and I assumed you then had to change schools a few times when you, when your father, when Paul became a, a coach in Massillon, Columbus, Cleveland, Cincinnati. You had to change schools at early ages. Did that happen a few times? Oh yeah, yeah. I um, uh, went to grade school in Upper Arlington. That's a suburb of Columbus. And mm-hmm. then, when the war came on, World War II, my father went into the Navy. We went up to the Great Lakes Naval Training Station, and there I went to school at uh, Lake Bluff, which is considered a suburb of Chicago. And from uh, Lake Bluff, it was back briefly to Columbus and then to Cleveland. When I think of my hometown, I think of uh, uh, Shaker Heights, Cleveland suburb, as my hometown. That's where I went to high school, and my memories revolve around that. Well, we have a lot more in common than I even knew, because my family, half my family is from Shaker Heights, from Wicklow Road, and they were bankers and during the Depression. So I spent many years in shaker with my grandparents and um you know i was quite young but uh i've always felt uh kind of a kindred spirit with that part of the world so between cincinnati and cleveland uh, i i guess we're both very proud ohio fans we we would say that well we're ohioans we grew up here and this is our area of the country let me ask you so as obviously there was a strong influence from your father coaching and and being so passionate about football did you know at a very young age what you wanted to do with your life? Were there opportunities that changed you? Were there moments in your childhood that were either you know positive or negative things that happened? That or, or were you pretty comfortable where you knew where you were headed? Because it took me a long time to figure out what I wanted to do, and I'm curious about that for you. I think with most boys, that's the way it is. I was a mystery because no one could figure out uh, what I wanted to do, I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to be involved in uh, football some way, somehow. My father didn't want me to coach, and he made sure that I uh, didn't. Uh, he thought that was a tough way to go because that's the way he had gone, and he knew all the issues that were involved with it. He wanted me to uh, be a lawyer, and uh, I ended up uh, going to law school, and I became a lawyer. But my heart really wasn't there. It was always in somehow getting into football. Uh, There came the time when uh, we managed to get this franchise up and running down here. I was involved in that. And uh, I've been uh, working for the Bengals now. I guess it's uh, 44, 45 years, whatever it is. So you attended Dartmouth College, and you played quarterback there. What are your some of your memories of that? I, I assume did your father have the opportunity to come and watch you play, or you know when he was coaching and you were playing quarterback there, and and that was prior to you going to Harvard Law School. What what uh, anything that sticks out in your mind uh, as you were a quarterback? Because certainly you understand 
that uh, having played that position, you know how 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 critical it is, and how critical obviously a team is built around that. Uh, any thoughts on that? Well, I'm quarterback oriented. I think that's the hub of any football team. I was not a very good quarterback. I did play. I was uh, lucky to uh, be able to play. And it was a wonderful experience. My mother went to one game that I played in college, and uh, she used to go watch uh, our high school games. My father never had the opportunity to go watch me play in a football game in high school or college because that uh, interfered with his schedule as a football coach for the Cleveland Browns. But I remember him one time uh, saying we were playing Holy Cross and uh, he was in New York where they could get the uh, radio uh, of the game. And uh, he was there with Blanton Collier. They were uh, very, very close friends when my dad was coaching Cleveland. Blanton was his principal assistant. And uh, he was uh, talking with Blanton, and they were calling the plays for me. I would call the plays, and uh, it always pleased me because I called a draw play, which is what they thought I should have called to take the rush down a notch. And uh, the fact that he commented, on, now that was the right thing to do. Well, that always uh, meant a lot that's, to me. That, that stuck uh, with you, right? Yeah. But uh, I... Uh, uh remember in high school when my mother, I, I got uh, turned upside down and knocked into the ground and knocked out, and I came to in the locker room. <laughs> my mother was hovering over uh, me. I was on a gurney, and uh, I didn't suffer any pain or anything. I just was uh, thoroughly knocked out or had been, and it uh, embarrassed me that she was in the locker room. It didn't deter her one <laughs> bit. <laughs> there you go. Let me ask you. I, I read. I don't know where it was. Uh, uh, one of the great things about doing this show is uh, I get a chance to do a lot of research on our own and a lot of things, and have great people around me. I read that you had a summer job as a deckhand for the Kensman Marine Transit Company, which ironically was owned by the Steinbrenner family. So uh, I I found that fascinating, and I just wanted you to. What was it like working for George and? Were you close to him, and was that really your first, you know, kind of odd job or whatever you call it? No, back in those days, people worked in the summer. I had a job every uh, summer. I worked in warehouses, factories. I worked uh, on a lake freighter, and it was very memorable. Uh, George uh, hired me. It was He was kind to have hired me. I have always been appreciative of that, and... Uh, I remember uh, one experience with George. We were somewhere de- uh, 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 in a port, and he flew in. He could fly his own uh, plane. And he came to uh, our, they called them boats, not ships, on the Great Lakes. He came to the boat, and he spoke to the crew. Uh, the issue in front of us was whether to unionize or not. And George treated me uh, a little differently after it was all done. He called me aside, and and he wanted to, I guess, uh, find out how I had reacted and others had reacted. He thought it had all gone very well and that he had persuaded all these guys not to unionize. And, of course, I knew better. (laughs) I was with them. And I didn't say anything, but it just uh, struck me as humorous at the time because George was so confident that it had gone 
just the way he had wanted, and I'm not sure it had at all. But I, I have uh, been forever grateful to George. He's gone now, but uh, when he was alive, uh, uh, I always uh, treasured that experience and the fact that uh, he had done me a favor that was special. Well, I I did have the chance to meet him once, and he was his he was his own man, and uh, I didn't know him like you knew him, but uh, he always impressed me as having his own view of the world and. In some respects, you know, you have to give a lot of credit to people who have that view. So I, I, I was uh, particularly interested in how you got uh, that job and how it came about and what your memories were. Um, we're going to take a short break. This is Jimmy Gould uh, with my very special guest, Mike Brown. You're listening to A Current Life brought to you by Smartwater, Wild Things Gear, and Outspace Mall Network. Please stay tuned. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it will be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Are you an entrepreneur that wants to achieve more, not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways? Listen for Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind. With host Chris Cooper, you'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. These people are making a difference and will help give you the motivation and insight to achieve more. Be More, Achieve More can be heard live Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. How has your belief system been formed? Has it been based on others telling you what to believe? Do you desire to make changes in your life that you know will bring you deeper fulfillment? Tune in to The Ripple Effect with Katherine Cloward for your weekly dose of inspiration and encouragement. Whether it be in your business, personal relationships, or family life, this show will help you recognize and trust your intuitive knowing. Catherine and her guests will help inspire you to make fulfilling choices for your life. The Ripple Effect is heard live every Thursday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to A Current Life with Jimmy Gould. If you have a question or comment for Jimmy or his guest today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd like to send an email, the address is acurrentlife at yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to A Current Life. This is your host, Jimmy Gould, and today I have a very special guest here with me, Mike Brown, president and owner of the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, before we left uh, the last segment, uh, we talked a little bit about your early years, and I want to talk a little bit about, you know, um, about your dad and, and the relationship you had with your dad growing up with Paul Brown and 
what a staple he was in the development of the NFL and particularly um, being one of the greatest football coaches ever and founding the Cleveland Browns and and being such an influence with you. I'm curious um, what some of those things that a lot of people maybe would not know or some of the kind of uh, ideas he left you with and, 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 and some of the influences he had on you and 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 just some of the memories, if you can relate to them, just a little bit for your audience that aren't necessarily so personal, but things that people can kind of take away. Uh, the show's about the journey, and it's about people learning about roads that sometimes aren't easy, they may be hard, and, and how we kind of have to stick to our passion and follow that. So I've I known you a long time, and I uh, have seen uh, in you great leadership and, and a great sensitivity to people. Um, I know you that way. So I'm curious, what were some of those moments with your father like? Well, I don't remember him ever saying, uh, do this or don't do that except for one time uh i was in college and and i uh wasn't the starting quarterback this was a terrible thing in my life. so i called on the phone back home and i said uh, this wasn't the way it was supposed to be and here i am just behind all these guys and the terrible thing and and uh, i want to transfer school i want to go somewhere where i can play and this is the only time I remember him uh, speaking like this to me. He said, you made your decision. Mm. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> no more discussion. No more discussion about that. And he was uh, absolutely right. I was just uh, momentarily discouraged, as kids can get. And uh, he wasn't taking uh, any part of that. But I, I, I grew up watching him. And that's where I learned. I, I learned uh, by observation. Uh, I watched him talk to the team. I watched him coach the team. I'm just like any son. I, I saw him in social settings. I was uh, probably, as any child is, uh, immensely judgmental. Everything he did, I judged. And... Uh, uh, I was left at the end of the day probably thinking this or that wasn't right, but uh, in my mind, he's a hero. And my principal hero, uh, I uh, have great, great admiration for how he went about his life. And uh, I, I just uh, think he inculcated the way he thought about things in me. And I'm probably... Uh, uh, just uh, going along to it the way uh, he thought about it. Maybe he would have done it better. I'm sure he would have. But uh, uh, he was my teacher, and and uh, not only in life in general, but in this business. Well, I know you know a lot of fans may not be aware of, and again, this is a lot of our research. But uh, one of the one of the interesting facts we found was that. Uh, some of the things that he did and contributed to the sport. I mean, obviously he was a, a founding member or one of the founders of the National Football League in, in every sense of the world, word and, and really of two of its great teams. And he also chose to ignore the gentleman's agreement barring African-American players from the league and added two that went on to join the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Marion Motley and Bill Willis. Um, that's remarkable when I went through and did some of the research. Um, 
Are you aware? Of, I mean, not aware, but are you? Uh, can oh, you think yeah, back that, on that, that time was, and what influence that had on you? Yeah, no, I remember that from the beginning. And uh, uh, Bill played for my dad at Ohio State. If you knew Bill Willis, uh, you would know what a solid person he was. Very admirable guy in every respect, not just as a player. He's a great player, but off the field, he had a uh, a personality that demanded respect. People uh, liked and admired him. Uh, Marion uh, Motley played a- against my father when my father coached at uh, Maslin High School. Marion played for their big rival, Canton McKinley. And then during World War II, when my father coached at the Great Lakes Naval Training Station, uh, they had a very good team. Uh, they uh, and the star of that team was Marion. He played for my dad when he was in the Navy at the end of World War II. So after the, uh, World War II, my father uh, started up the Browns, and he felt that uh, he knew where a couple guys uh, were who were better players than what the Browns had, and he made arrangements to get a bill. Willis to come and visit uh, the Cleveland Browns training camp the very first year, 1946. Wow. And Paul Horning was a friend of my dad. Paul Horning, this is a different Paul Horning than the football player. This is mm-hmm. the Paul Horning who was the sports editor of the Columbus Dispatch eventually. But he and my father were friends. Though. There used to be a different kind of relationship between uh, media and uh, <laughs> people involved in activities than there is today. And uh, my that's dad an understatement, by the way, probably, yeah. You know, well, my dad called Paul Horning and, and asked him to uh, suggest to Bill that they drive up to Bowling Green where the Browns practiced and watch practice. And they did, and uh, when they were there, mm-hmm. my dad approached Bill and uh, offered to uh, sign him and, and bring him on. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he did that. And then a, a few days later or so, uh, he brought in uh, Marion. And they were, both of them, uh, uh, great players. And they were really uh, good guys. As a young boy, I used to go up to their dorm room at training camp. And uh, Horace Gilm was the third one uh, who came a little later, a year later. And he was my dad's old player at Maslin High School. So the three of them had a corner room, and all the other guys would go out and about uh, after practice or in the evening time. And I would uh, sneak upstairs and go into the room with those guys, and we would play hearts, which was a very fond memory of mine. And the object of the game was to put the uh, Queen of Spades on Marion, who would just holler and shout when you did that, and they make a great scene, and it was a wonderful memory for me. But these were good guys. Did you That's all what, conspire to put the heart on, on Marion? Oh, you would try to if you could. <laughs> <laughs> just because he made a fuss over it. You know, he, 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 he had fun with it, and that made it fun for all the rest of us. Uh, the, it, it was a wonderful memory for me. They were kind to me, and I, I've always... Uh, held them in my heart. Uh, they were um, great players to me as a kid. They were heroes, and, and they've always been heroes to me. I'm 76 years old, and they, they're still heroes in my mind, and always will be as long as I 
So they went heroes. on to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Marion and Bill, Yeah, they're right? both in the, and deservedly so, they're, they're both in the Pro Football Hall of Fame for being great players. They were great players. They really were special uh, players, and uh, they deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. My dad didn't uh, uh, pick them uh, as Branch Rickey did a year later. Mm-hmm. Uh, he signed Jackie Robinson to come on to uh, the, the Dodgers in baseball. But my, my dad wasn't, uh, he, he didn't see himself as some kind of, uh, uh, of civil rights uh, mm-hmm. leader. There was no such term in those days or thought. What he thought was two things. One, that everybody deserved a fair chance. And uh, he held that to his core. And secondly, uh, he felt that these two guys were uh, good players that would help the team, and they should get their fair chance. And it didn't bother him that others, and a lot of others, did object and feel otherwise. That didn't bother him a bit. And so they came on, and, and that uh, uh, was something that uh, broke the color barrier in, in uh, pro football. And I've always been proud of the way... Uh, he, his part in that it was something that that, that uh, well it just was exceptional. The um, I I want to you know during those days you know living in Cincinnati and growing up in Cincinnati like I did I mean I don't think there was a Sunday that went by that I didn't see Jim Brown or Lou Groza you know play and obviously I still believe I mean I'm sure statistics. I don't know if they bear this out, but Jim Brown was such an unbelievable running back. Um, I actually had the chance to meet him not too long ago. We actually ran into each other on the street, and we were able to take a long walk together and talk. Uh, <coughs> he wasn't getting around very well, but uh, what are your memories of those days with him and, and, and your thoughts about that? Well, let me uh, comment on two things. You said you watched television here when you were a kid. In, in Cincinnati, in fact, through two-thirds of the country, the old Browns had their own television network. They blanketed the country. They were America's team in football uh, before uh, anybody thought of the term America's team. In the early 60s, uh, they uh, threw in their television network into the National Football League. And anyway, the people in Ohio and elsewhere in the country, many other places as well, uh, remember watching the old Browns play. Uh, it uh, is uh, it's, it's interesting that they, they have that connection. On Jim, uh, Jim was my year in college. He played at Syracuse. He was uh, a tremendous uh, college player. His Syracuse uh, lacrosse team came up to Dartmouth to play. And if there was one thing Jim was better at than football, it was lacrosse. <laughs> and I went over and I watched that, and he was quite phenomenal uh, watching him uh, do what he could in lacrosse. He was just uh, amazing. He's the uh, greatest uh, runner the, the NFL ever had. I, Absolutely. I, just, I think that's the fact. Uh, my dad always uh, acknowledged that he was the greatest runner he ever had. He was careful to say that... Uh, uh, he probably thought Marion was the best back he ever had, Marion Motley. My, Marion was a wonderful runner, too. He actually had a higher per attempt average than Jim did. But uh, he was uh, partial to Marion because he was an all-round player who 
blocked and even played defense for us in in the old days. Uh, Jim, as a runner, uh, was very, very fast. Uh, People look at him and say, oh, he was a power runner. Well, he was a power runner, but he could run away from people in the secondary. He was that fast. And he had uh, maneuvers that he used. He used to uh, get his shoulder down and use his arm and force people down and, and sort of sidestep them and go on. Uh, if you saw him play, you would keep it in mind. It would be a memory. Uh, I, I have it uh, very vivid in my mind how he used to be, and, and uh, I haven't seen his match uh, since. Well, I, yeah, I, first of all, your first comment is enlightening because, you know, you would, you, you didn't have the regional, uh, telecasts like you do today. And, and so, you, so I agree with you. I mean, I, it was just, it was just a given here that the Cleveland Browns were our team and, you know, to watch Jim Brown and, 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 and you know, invariably Lou Grozer kick, make the kick. It just was just, uh, an exciting, exciting, day and and I was one of those kids that I just would not leave the TV when it came to baseball or football so I I can appreciate that I I'm curious what role uh, and and particular memory or moment or 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 influence your mom had on your development um you know we've talked a lot about your dad but a little bit about your mom besides the one locker room visit what do you take away from that in particular Oh, my mother was a saint. Uh, she was the anchor in the household. Everybody was doing whatever they were doing, going in 50 different directions. Uh, there were three boys as well as my dad, and we all had our pursuits. But uh, we all came home, and uh, she was the center of the household. She had a sweetness about her and a gentleness. Uh, she is the one person that I knew who could settle my dad down. My dad would be... Uh, upset and go off on a tangent, and she would uh, say whatever needed to be said to get him to get over it and settle down. Uh, she wouldn't reinforce his anger. She would control it, if you will. And I always remembered how she did that. Uh, I, uh, I love my parents. I think we all love our parents, and I was uh, lucky to have two wonderful parents. How long were they married for? Well, they got married when... Uh, my mother was a nurse. My father was still in college, and they kept it secret for over a year. <laughs> and um, then uh, after he graduated, uh, his first job, he always claimed, uh, which was uh, uh, teaching at a prep school in Maryland, Severance Academy. Back then, it was a, a preparatory school for the Naval Academy, Today, it's more of a prep school for boys and girls in that area. But uh, my mom went as the school nurse, and my dad went as uh, an English and history teacher. When he was there, the head coach uh, took sick and couldn't continue on. So they asked my dad to uh, be the uh, coach of the football team. And he agreed to do that, and in his coaching career, he was never anything but a head coach. It was at prep school, at high school, at college, at service ball, at pro football, but uh, always as the head coach. But he didn't uh, purposely 
set out to be a football coach. He just was um, accidentally enlisted. And it's strange how careers can start, even uh, very successful careers. Exactly. The, um, so let me ask, as you developed the plan to um, create the Bengals, bring the Bengals to Cincinnati, was that about 1991? Am I right about that date, around that time? No, the, the, the time that we uh, started developing uh, our plans to come here were, was in the mid-60s. Wow. Uh, and um, uh, this franchise was granted in September of 1967. Our first season was the following fall, 1968. Okay. So that's the timing on it. And, and when did you actually take over the Bengals themselves to run them? More or less, uh, as well, the when my dad died. But before that, uh, it was uh, no different than it is here today. Right. Uh, right. My father, uh, as he got along, uh, I uh, did more and more. And, and uh, for some years, at the end there, I was really running it, but I wasn't. I didn't have the title of uh, of running it. And it's no different here today. My daughter and uh, son and son-in-law uh, really just tolerate me anymore. <laughs> I'm in the office, but I know who runs this thing. It's not really not me, it's them. It happens. As you grow older, you hand off, and, and uh, things uh, just gradually uh, get shifted from the uh, elder to the younger. Well, I will say for our listeners, uh, I've probably done over 80 contracts in the NFL, and I've done numerous contracts with you. The ones that stick out are Peter Warwick and, of course, the trading of Dan Wilkinson as, a, as the first franchise player ever traded, which got you two draft picks, and also, of course, Andre Smith and, and Frosty Rucker and several, many, many others. But I've never really had a relationship with any of the owners where I could look them in the eye and, and they tell me something and I don't really even need a contract. And I've said that about you in print, and I've said it, I'll say it to you today, you have a, a great uh, sensibility about you and a great sensitivity, and I, I trust that, and, and I tell my players that. So uh, we were able to bring Peter Work in in May, and that made all the difference in the world, in, in my opinion. But as I look at your job, as I look at what it's like to own a team, to run a team, and to me, it's a dream job. I mean, I, uh, you know, if you ask me would I be willing to walk away from everything I have today, to be able to own or run an NFL team, the answer would be absolutely. Uh, I just, it's something about it just intrigues me, and I've had a lot of friends like Chip Rosenblum at the Rams and, and you know, that I've known for a long time. And I, I guess I'd, for our listeners, I'd like to ask, what is your favorite part of your job, and what is your least favorite part of your job? Well, uh, that's a tough question. That really is. When, when you say favorite uh, part I, I I guess what I like to do most is just watch practice. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's what uh, is uh, more fun for me than uh, other things. Uh, what is the least uh, uh, favorite part of the job? It's probably uh, 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 listening to uh, the criticism that is. Uh, uh, what it is, and uh, so often people uh, misjudge, misconstrue, uh, just want to criticize to vent, and they don't really know uh, much about what they're criticizing. 
emphasizing. But uh, and then you scratch your head about how could it uh, be so perceived, so so different than reality, at least as I understand reality. But that's part of it. That that, that goes with the uh, job. But at times that's not uh, especially uh, fun. Well, I would think it's particularly in any business, but especially a business where there's so much emotion involved with with fans and weekend fans and fans that this is has their name on it that uh that you know that they're they're um that's hard to own a team in your own city it's hard to live with it week in and week out and and so I certainly understand that I think one of the the reasons I was so interested in having you on the show was I know you differently and I know you in a special way um as we'll talk about I've coached your grand granddaughters in soccer and I actually gave you a copy of my 150-page playbook. I think you saw that, or at least I know someone <laughs> made that comment to you when I was coaching the Indian Hill Braves uh, football club. So um, I could tell you there wasn't a day that went by someone did criticize me. One of the parents would yell at me or someone would call <laughs> me because I didn't play their kids. So uh, uh, I, uh, I oftentimes wanted to stop your tennis game when I would see you in the park and say, help me. <laughs> But, yeah, we uh, would be up in that same park in Cincinnati, <laughs> and that's where a lot went on. You were the coach, Coach Gould. <laughs> coach Gould. So it was, uh, I, to- I told uh, Marvin uh, when he asked me to come and speak to some of the other coaches around the country, they, not the country, but around the uh, tri-state, when he had his clinic, he said, uh, tell them what the hardest part of a job of coaching is. And I said, coaching kids when they're in, in their uh, Tween years is not easy because you're really coaching their parents, and it's a tough job. And and you know, I don't know that you ever make everybody happy. I think all you can do is <laughs> put one foot in front of the other and do the best you can. I, I remember specifically a chance that you and I had when Hard Knocks was following the Bengals, and we were doing Andre's contract, and I had the chance to steal a half an hour and sit in your office, and I, I probably will never forget it because the look on your face and, and, the, and, and, and you, I think you know what I'm going to talk about. It's speaking about the late Chris Henry. Um, uh, you know, you had a special relationship with him. At least it came across to me that you did, and, and I understand having now heard a lot about what your father did and the things like that. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Because uh, you you really do get a chance to know your players as people, and you take the time to do that. And the players I've represented have told me that about you. Um, you know, you don't miss a beat on that. And and I don't think that every owner is like that. And I don't think that a lot of our writers understand that about you. What was it like with Chris, who had such talent, uh, such unbelievable talent? Well, he was a good player. As a young guy, uh, he was uh, always uh, getting in one fix after another, and some of it was just uh, utter naivete. Uh, Yet, when you would read about it in the paper, you would think we were dealing with John Dillinger, and we weren't. We were just dealing with a young guy who was trying to grow up and would make mistakes, and then they would be in the, literally on the front page of the paper for a week. Uh, we uh, tried to get him right, and he did get into some jams. 
And we would work with him to get him through them one by one. It was more than one, more than there should have been. But if you knew him, he was a very sweet, gentle kid. But good God, the, the publicity about him uh, just made you think that he, he, he was uh, a villain of some kind. Anyway, uh, we struggled with him, and we got him up and running. And it all looked like uh, it was in front of him. Finally, he was free and clear of the problems that had beset him. And then, tragically, uh, he died. It um, it was a very uh, uh, oh intense uh, uh, relationship, and and the the result was tragic. But um, in a way, it left wonderful memories of a young guy struggling to do right, not being able to get there very easily, but he did get there, and then it was over in a flash, and it just. Uh, uh, was uh, a lesson for all the other players that were here that watched and and um, uh, it, it um, oh it seared my memory that one but we we try to do that with all our kids we try to treat them right uh, they are uh, more than players to us they they are part of us and when they get uh, sideways with society and some of them do from time to time lord knows if you think back maybe you did i know i did when i was a kid. i definitely did sure we all do <laughs> and, and and uh so we try to get them uh, going right and help them uh, as best we can and what i find and you probably find it in your relationship with uh, many players you've dealt with they grow and they evolve and they, and they get more mature and, and you're, uh, you just see them grow up right in front of you. And that's a wonderful thing to uh, see. And I like to think we uh, do right by our guys. We certainly mean to. And you just mentioned one that uh, people know about because of all the publicity that went with it and the story that was involved. Well, I, 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 I did sense that then when we were able to speak at that time and I could see the uh, um, I could see that in your eyes and in your voice and and I thank you for caring uh, we're going to take another commercial break uh, we skipped the last one because we really are uh, find this time very valuable with you and uh, this is Jimmy Gould with my special guest Mike Brown you're listening to a current life brought to you by smart water wild things gear and ad space small network stay tuned the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. At Wild Things, we've been making alpine clothing and packs right here in the USA since 1981. In fact, 
We began by stitching together extremely light climbing gear that guys on the mountain were trying to make on their own. It was a big deal in 1981, making Wild Things the gear of choice for some of the world's most demanding alpine climbers. Of course, the climbs and the climbers are now the stuff of legend. Inspiration for the next group to realize the freedom of moving over rock and ice in a fast and light way. The rest, three decades of elation, misery, epics, and near misses, we put back into everything we make. Light, durable, functional, packable. Wild Things gear is made and tested by those who live in it. Available exclusively at wildthingsgear.com. Stay wild. Very rarely does our news media spotlight some of the good things that are happening in our world. For more of these good stories and the people that are creating them, tune in to Bread for the Journey with Mariana Cacciatore. Whether these good acts stem from personal tragedy or just a desire to help out and make this a better world in which to live, you'll find inspiration in every week's program. Connect with those that are doing something great for a change. Listen for Bread for the Journey, Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to A Current Life with Jimmy Gould. If you have a question or comment for Jimmy or his guest today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd like to send an email, the address is acurrentlife at yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back uh, to A Current Life. I'm here with the president and the owner of the Society Bengals, Mike Brown. This is Jimmy Gould, your host. Mike, I wanted to, at least this last part, we always call the meaning of life, and we've had a little thing called meaning of life and game day for you. Before we get into that, I did want to publicly thank you, as I've done with a couple of the other owners, for your all, your support uh, in helping shape and form the Corey Stringer Inst, uh, Institute on Heat Illness. Uh, it was a it was a proud moment when you really took the lead, and, and you may not even be aware that you took the lead, but it was uh, probably one of the few times, as I was related to by the commissioner, that both you and Jerry Jones reached out and said uh, for us to find a way to create a legacy and, 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 and put our differences aside with the league. And uh, we can't thank you enough. We've had so many moments in helping save lives with the Pop Warner Leagues and the research we're doing at the University of Connecticut, and I owe you a great debt of gratitude. Uh, you know, we all knew we couldn't bring Corey back. He was a great player and a great person, but the family and everybody is very grateful to you for supporting that, so thank you. I think they and you made uh, something out of a tragedy that uh, Stringer would have been proud of. Well, thank you. Let me ask, um, I've asked my guests and I asked Bob Costas this when we interviewed him. We always use the term wow when we say what was your wow moment, either professionally, personally, whatever, that really was a, a, a pivotal moment in your life. Uh, um, can you point to one thing when you, and the light went off and you said, oh, I know what I'm going to do with my life or I, or this is going to make a big change or when you came to Cincinnati, what would you say was that one wow moment? There may be a lot of them, but is there one in mind that you have? 
I don't have a wow moment. I hate to disappoint you. Just <laughs> 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 seemingly a lot of silent moments that uh, developed into what they developed into. Uh, I um, oh, I remember uh, one incident. Um, we we were awarded the franchise that became the Bengals. It was uh, awarded on a uh, temporary basis and. Um, we had to uh, agree to certain terms and conditions, and my father uh, rebelled at some of that. He, he thought it was uh, uneven, unfair, what they were uh, asking of us and that the deal should have been differently. And, and uh, Pete Roselle came up to the hotel room. We were at some hotel, wherever it was, at a league meeting and said that uh, we had to uh, either take it as it was or it wasn't going to be there for us. And he left and... I remember uh, trying to persuade my father to let's do this. It's the thing to do, and uh, he didn't. Uh, there wasn't an exchange much. It was just that he could tell how I felt about it, and and um, I said something, and then he agreed to to go forward with it, and so we were off and running. Uh, but it, uh, I could name a dozen instances like that that. Uh, were important to me, and uh, uh, yet uh, they weren't what I would call wow moments. They they were more moments of relief or gratitude <laughs> for how things turned out. Uh, I don't know that I felt especially enlightened afterwards, more so than I had been before. What what made you use the Bengal logo? Pick the Bengal tiger. Uh, we had uh, a luncheon over at a club in Cincinnati that you would know. It's called the Queen City Club mm-hmm. for other people. And uh, it was attended uh, by uh, John Sawyer and my father, uh, Dave Gamble, and myself. And the topic was what we should call the Bengals. John Sawyer, as you would know, your viewers, sure. to, to inform them, he was at the time our principal shareholder, a wonderful person. Dave Gamble was a shareholder. Uh, both of them uh, are uh, Cincinnati people, and uh, they both went to Princeton. Uh, we were talking about what the name of the team should be, and the different names were discussed, and one was Rhino because Rhine had a uh, connection with Rhineland, Cincinnati, has a German background, the German heritage. And my father said that his sister uh, had said, Paul, whatever you do, don't call that team the Rhinos. The uh, <laughs> Rhino is big, dumb, and slow. And you don't want to be like that. And I remember that as a comment in these discussions. And then they finally came after talking about different uh, suggestions to uh, uh, calling the team the Bengals. Well, uh, both uh, John... And Dave had gone to Princeton, the Princeton Tigers, orange and black, and all that was uh, swelled by them. And with my dad, who had coached at Maslin High School, he said, well, I I know what to do with that uh, uh, background, with that name. I can use that. And so we became the Bengals, and that's how the decision was made. There was no... uh, uh, As there probably would be today, uh, there was no... uh, uh, research or, or uh, polling or whatever else. It was just uh, off the cuff uh, at a uh, lunch. 
Well, I and think it's worked we, for you. I well, think it's how, worked. Uh, how we got the name. Let me ask uh, just a couple questions uh, uh, with the time allowed. Um, and I hope uh, your daughter Katie won't uh, mind. Uh, I asked her if I asked you what the meaning of life is to you. Uh, she gave me her view uh, of what she thought you would say, so hopefully she won't be mad at me and give me a tough time on the next contract. But the, uh, she said family and football. And I thought it was a great answer because she put family first, and, and you've always shown me uh, how important your family is to you, uh, your wife Nancy and, and, and obviously Paul and Katie and Troy and your brother Pete and everybody I've gotten to know over there and your loyalty to your friends like Jim Lippincott and some of the other people. Do you feel that's the right answer? Yeah, for me that's uh, what it's all about. Uh, I uh, don't claim uh, any great success. I really don't. And uh, I, I guess if you're asking my motto, it would go back to my Latin teacher in high school. All the other kids, uh, she would write on their papers, uh, Fac optimum melius, so make your best better. And on mine, she would write pergimoto, only go on. <laughs> only go on. <laughs> Maybe well, that was go out of the classroom. But anyway, uh, you just persevere. Put one foot ahead of the other, as you were saying earlier. Well, I, I, I first of all, uh, you have a huge game on Sunday. Uh, it's arguably one of the biggest games in franchise history. And I know you're all very well prepared in the city, and everybody are excited about putting their orange and black on, and you've got a full stadium. Uh, I want to I thank you for your time, uh, especially at this time. I want to thank you for really creating football in Cincinnati because you've done that. I want to thank you for your commitment to the organization and to bringing football to Cincinnati and for your friendship and for your leadership. I want to thank you on behalf of your many friends and fans in this town and, and for making the time today. Well, thank you for the compliments. I've enjoyed our visit. Well, our, our time is up. Uh, we want to thank Mike Brown for sharing his journey with us. We're very appreciative, and we certainly say go Bengals, who day on Sunday. I want to thank our listeners for turning into a current life on the Voice America Variety Channel. This is your host, Jimmy Gould, signing off. And please join us next Friday. Uh, at 3 p.m. Eastern for our next episode, which will be with Marlo Thomas. Marlo is an actress, an author, a social activist, and is also the spokesperson and national outreach director for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Until next time, I wish each and every one of you a journey filled with hope, inspiration, and success. And, Mike, thank you so much for being on our show. Okay, Jimmy. Take care. Thanks again for joining us for A Current Life on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please tune in to another great program with your host, Jimmy Gould, next Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time. We'll see you next week.